0: And welcome back to the Bank Tank podcast. We are excited to get started on this episode. I've got Bank across from me. Bank, how you doing?
1: I'm pretty good. Yeah, feeling good this morning? Yeah, I feel great. Uh, I feel really good. We've
0: got a very special guest, somebody uh, very close to Bank, um, a good friend of his um, named Jay uh, Schulte. Yeah, you, you can say his last name, sure. Jay Schulte. <laughs> uh, Bank, you want to give him a little bit of introduction for our guest? Yeah,
1: uh, so it's my good friend, Jay Schulte. I uh, grew up with Jay uh, here in Nashville. Um, then stayed in touch with him. He ended up moving in the eighth grade to Anchorage, Alaska, but uh, thanks to good old phones, we remained in touch. Um, and then a little bit about his education. He went to Dartmouth, um, and it was a D1 swimmer there, a very elite breaststroker. Um, then after Dartmouth, he worked on Wall Street for a couple years. Um, and then now he is in Memphis, Uh, working for a single family office that is um making private equity investments and he has a lot of um research that goes on in that job um and then this week he is in town for a grand opening of central barbecue heck yeah
0: central barbecue is awesome well jay we're excited to have you man yeah thanks for having me yeah of course um Hey, I, I, I've heard through the grapevine that you have listened to a couple episodes of the show, um, and and because of that, you know what's about to happen. We're gonna we're gonna intro off with just some random questions just to get everybody started. And Central Barbecue is, first of all, amazing. If you haven't been to Memphis, you need to check it out. Um, but now that they're here, I don't have to travel all the way to Memphis. But with that being said, first question is, in your hometown, whatever hometown you decide, since you've kind of been all over the place. In your hometown, what is your favorite go-to order at your favorite restaurant?
2: Oh, man. Okay. So uh, in Anchorage, where uh, I lived for six and a half years, uh, there is a pizza joint. Fun fact, it's actually the largest grossing single uh, store pizza restaurant in the United States. Oh, my god! And it's called Moose's Tooth. And they make pizza as a sandwich there. And they've got a pizza called Santa's Little Helper. And it is fire. <laughs> you want to hear something crazy?
0: I've been there and had that. Are you serious? Like dead. Serious. No way. What did you think? Long, it was super good. Uh, long story short, <laughs> that's crazy. visited a friend from college. Union, I went to Union University, yep. small small school. Had a weird number of people from Alaska, especially Anchorage, that went to the school that's 2,000 students. It's bizarre. Um, and I was visiting a friend who was getting married, and they took me there.
1: Crazy.
2: Yeah. yeah, it's the place. That's It's amazing. the place to go, apparently.
1: Wait, what was that again?
2: Shout out to Moose's Tooth. Moose's Mousse, Tooth. Uh, no,
1: Moose's Tooth, but where? Sorry. In Anchorage. Oh, in Anchorage. Yeah. And you've been
0: there. I've literally been there. And I'm pretty sure we had that pizza.
2: Are you jealous? You, you look jealous right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, bro. I'm connecting why? with your childhood friend. Uh, hey, Bank, would you have a you have a go-to order at one of your favorite restaurants?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, this uh, Steak Maui from J. Alexander's. Yeah. And my dad makes fun of me every single time I order it. But I'm like, dude, I've gotten it probably 200, 250 times. I don't even know. Since I was like 13, 12 years old.
2: (laughs) Is that a nostalgia play or a taste play?
1: A taste play. I mean, dead serious. I can't. They've never done me wrong there. That's fair.
0: uh, uh, I think mine is is Red Bike. Um, I go there a ton um, downtown. They have... Um, this bourbon-infused coffee that is unbelievable. Um, and then crepe-wise, um, the Highlander is one of the best, but you've got to like... It's got blue cheese in it, so you got to like blue cheese. Um, I like blue cheese. Well, dude, you should try it out. That's pretty good. I
1: definitely... I like blue
0: cheeseburgers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> blue cheeseburgers. Are... Jay, it's
0: okay. You can laugh into the mic at this point. <laughs> we just laugh at Pink at, at most, most
1: of his answers. It's great. Blue cheeseburger is always good. Uh, there's a place over in um uh not nippers corner oh man uh what's i can't Bro, remember I have, <laughs> I have literally no idea what you're talking about there's a great blue cheeseburger from a great restaurant that i've had like a couple times and i just can't <laughs> remember what it's called all right Duly it's noted. in nolensville uh, what's the little nice
0: place in oh that burger place in Nolansville? i know what you're talking about over by the, uh, like, yeah. the Mexican restaurant? Bur- not the-
1: Burger Up. Burger Up's
0: really good. Uh, Burger Barn? Nope. Okay, well, who knows? I can't remember. <sighs> I'm going to Google it right now. <laughs> sure. Well, while basically Googling that, uh, Jay, I, you know, like I, we talked about it a little bit before the show, I, you know, I knew of you at the very least.
1: Oh, Burger Republic.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: the blue cheeseburger. I'm not impressed,
2: Garrett. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, they're pretty good. The blue cheeseburger. Yeah, sure. Is really good from Burger Re- Republic.
0: Okay, duly noted. Uh, what I was saying, thank you for the interruption. Uh, what I was saying is, again, yeah, I knew of you, at least, from the very least, just because I was Bing's friend, you were Bing's friend, but uh, when we were younger, but, um, you know, moving all over the place, things you've been doing, we're excited to get into your story, but what, what's something that, like, you do as a hobby? Um or
2: if you don't have any hobbies you're working on, what's something you'd be interested in starting as a hobby? That's a great question. So um, I think my hobbies have kind of come and gone with the flexibility and freedom that I've had around my life. I think today uh, I read a lot of books. Mm. That's, a, well, That's read, a good hobby. I, I read a lot of books relative, I think, to most people's book-reading habits. Sure. Uh, I'd say that. Um I recently got into doing some like acid stain, like wood aging. So that's nice. kind of a random really, thing I've, I've been into the past couple months. And then. Uh, wait, wait,
1: what? Like, what is that?
2: Acid, like aging like wood? Just st- oh, that's like the natural thing, my friend. Uh, everyone here is, I feel like, yeah, just uh, crazy obsessed. Crazy obsessed with uh, old looking wood. So. You basically create kind of different solutions to stain wood, make it look really old and, beat are, you, it and are you
0: picking up like antiques, or are you picking up like just oh, like pieces, like just pieces? Yeah, like scrap of yours, pieces you... of wood,
2: and I make it look extremely old. No yeah, it's way! Kind of fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's just kind of a new thing. Well, so some we'll some see good if it sticks.
0: Not gonna lie, if you're trying to like sell it, yeah,
2: I, I think I just do it for me because yeah, I don't really sure. trust my, uh, I guess my sense of. Uh, excellence sure, in, the, sure. in the area. But, um, yeah, that's one for sure. That's kind awesome. Weird.
0: Bank, what are you doing for hobbies these days? Do you have time for hobbies?
2: Uh, this uh, podcast. <laughs> that's a great answer.
1: Yeah, uh, that's a great answer. No, um, I would love to have the hobby of reading. I yeah. It's funny when you say that. Two years ago, I had a goal of reading 30 books in a year, and I probably got three of <laughs> those 30 books. So I mm-hmm. set, set the bar high. Well, that was like a New Year's resolution to do it within a year. But um, other hobbies, coaching. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure, coaching. Somewhere. Yeah, you
0: you technically get paid for that, so I don't know. It's it's on the fence, but I respect it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's similar to what mine is. Ultimate um, Frisbee, I can say, is a hobby now because I'm not getting paid for it. But i coach all the I think time. it
1: would be better to say, like, a passion rather than a hobby for coaching. Yeah, that's
0: true. That's yeah. probably true.
2: I feel um, like in some ways, though, isn't the goal to get paid for your hobbies?
1: Yes. That
2: true. is true. true.
0: Uh, especially if you're selling old wood, uh, you really want to get paid for those <laughs> things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Or, mm-hmm. Oh, excuse me. New wood that looks old. Uh, can a no. hobby be something, like, lazy? Like, y- watching shows and stuff? Yeah, yeah, that's a hobby. Sleeping. Sleeping can be a hobby.
2: Big. Yeah, I, I mean it's definitely a hobby. I don't for me. sleep I don't, as much. Yeah, not anymore. I got some friends who are avid nappers and Yeah, Oh, excellent. I do that. It's a love skill that. I think. Swimming. I mean
1: naps. I swim myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a hobby. No, man. I think I think you're definitely right. You ultimately like getting paid for your hobby is ideal. Um, so that's fair. And uh, but yeah, coaching it slash playing ultimate for sure. And then um outside of that, um, I can't even. You know what? I've gotten into. This is gonna sound super weird. Uh, the uh, I've gotten into maps um, recently. I think maps are super cool. Um, so started like looking into like cartography. Not like actually doing it yet, but I'm, that's something I'd be interested in actually doing. Wow, that's like, making maps. I'd be so sick. Um, I don't know why. It's just something that I've I've really You're creative a individual. Yeah, I'm like secretly creative for sure. Um, it's not something that comes out in like everyday life necessarily, but. Um, I do, I am the only, we don't have a marketing team here, so I do all of my own marketing materials, so I have to be a little bit creative. I say going the, the world, um, the world needs more
2: closet creatives, Gary. Yeah, so that's very Cool.
0: But, <clears throat> all that to say, Bink, what, what are your, uh, you've, you've usually got some annoyances or obsessions or now random yes. thoughts. I mean, you want to fit yourself you into know, one of those You know, I was thinking
1: about um, this the other day, uh, like what it really just, I just don't like at all, and I'm confused about... Some people liking it is So you're in the annoyance category then, yeah? I don't know if it's annoyance because I can choose not to do it. It's not an annoyance. Okay. Roller coasters? Like, I just, I don't understand. Like, I just, <laughs> I I hate roller coasters. I don't like my stomach being taken away. I don't like <laughs> going really fast. Okay. Sure. And I think I'm in the minority in it. Ah. I, because I, I just, like, okay, for that, I went to uh, a Young Life. Um, retreat yeah. when we went to Dollywood. Yep. And there's about 80 kids. And 15 of my Young Life kids, out of those 15, there was one that was adamant about not doing any rides. And there was probably, like, two others, right, that were like, yeah, I could be convinced. Yeah, yeah. And But the other 12 were in. So it's like three yeah. for 15. You're
0: probably right. I, well, especially in kids. I feel like when you get older, it's like, okay,
2: this isn't that fun anymore. Well, but I'll just say are you you guys are podcasters right so you you guys listen to uh you guys ever listen (laughs) calling us podcasters is a strong have you listened to dollytics speaking of dollywood oh it's fascinating phenomenal podcast about dolly parton and they talk about dollywood quite a bit it's pretty nuts yeah interesting yeah okay it's by a a guy who grew up in brentwood lives in new york now uh an older uh, guy ethnic minority heritage Whose dad happens to be uh, Dolly Parton's doctor, and so he went to a concert of hers in New York and was like, "Who are all these people? They're from like everywhere." (laughs) So this whole podcast is around Dolly Parton being like the great unifier. Interesting. I mean, it's it's really interesting. It's worth your time. Speaking of Dollywood, yeah, I can't believe
1: it is a crazy Dollywood. I didn't know. Maybe maybe it's called
2: maybe it's called Dolly Parton's America. I think I misspoke. It's based off a class (laughs) at UT Knoxville. Well, I I
1: will say there was so many people there. I mean, it's like the Disney World of the South. I mean, it, it, yeah, it it's just, a lot smaller, it, but... It is a lot smaller, but it. I'm not saying... I, I enjoyed myself at Dollywood. It's just the rides. I don't... I am not a I, I, I ride do, person, yeah, it period. takes a
0: special type of person. I mean, you got to like that feeling of, like, the adrenaline of your stomach dropping and everything like that. If you don't like it, then, I mean, like, obviously you're not going to like roller coasters. So I see that.
2: I'll say this, though. I mean... I'm not sure it's necessarily my experience with you that you're against the, that kind of internal thrill. Like when we both learned to dive in Molokai Mm -hmm. in 2017 together, like that was, that was some thrill, but you were totally cool doing that once you got your feet in, you know, and we're 80 feet down, you know, so I'm also,
1: I'm also not losing my stomach. It is, you know what, I'll say this, not to completely derail
0: us, but. It is fair to say, Bank loses his stomach quite easily. We um, yeah. used to drive a lot of markets together, and I he would be carsick before I leave the parking lot. Like actually, but that's because
1: of his Sound driving. Not, Sounds really. like
2: you've got a gracious partner. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, in Molokai, I when I was diving, I think that it, you know you can kind of like. Overcome the fear of how deep or like like what whatever you're seeing underwater, whereas like you can't just over physically overcome your stomach being taken away. Okay. Yeah. Plus, sure. like I don't know. I, don't I
0: know. mean, you're not getting the the car the car sickness like movement yeah. that you that affects you so much. I, I seriously think you might. have do you? are getting seasickness
1: th- though? I mean, you're getting that the no. toss and the no. no no. Okay. I do think you might have a small inner ear problem. I yeah. mean <laughs> Well do you I mean do y'all like roller coasters?
0: Yeah, I do. But, but I will say when I was when I was really when I was really young, see Jay just
2: doesn't want to admit it so that we can keep rolling. No, you no, from. I'm not. Uh I will I will take a good roller coaster and then be glad I did it afterwards and dread it up to the point. Yeah. See, I have never been happy with myself after doing it. <laughs> I didn't like
0: it when I was younger, but I I grew into him for sure. It's definitely a personality thing, so that's not that weird. But I appreciate you sharing. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> we we'll should probably get like moving into the next section. Hey, uh, Jay, you've done a lot. You've been all over the place, and you're about to share some of that stuff with us. Um, I, and this is jumping the gun a little bit, but I like this question because it kind of sets up your story. Um, you know, going into college, and then where you know where life took you next—Wall Street, et cetera, Um, what's something that you really wish you would have known um, before starting your first job? Oh, wow. And by first job, I mean, you know, first, like, kind of career job. Yeah, yeah. And and it doesn't even – it doesn't have to be super specific to Wall Street necessarily, but just in general, what's something that you, like, hey, this would have prepared me a little bit better for
2: this? Hmm. I definitely have some particular to my Mm -hmm. first job on Wall Street. Well, you can share those, too. But in general, man – I think I wish I had known that I was going to be okay. Mm. I think uh, there's definitely um, kind of throughout throughout my story, kind of a thread that if you pulled it far enough, there's been a lot of um, a lot of moments where I thought I thought I was in like a, a make or break moment for me when I really wasn't, and the uh, the fear around those kind of decisions. Uh, could be crippling, and there was just um, yeah. I think I just thought I had a lot more control and the ability to um, ruin things much easier than I actually did. Mm. I think I I generally see that you know I'm the I'm the second of six. Okay, so uh, all my siblings have all you know moved, graduated high school, graduated college. I just had my littlest sister just graduated college. And start her first professional job. So, like, even just in my family, let alone friends, like, I just I feel like that's that's probably a common theme. Yeah. And I'm not necessarily sure that's something that you can actually believe uh, at 22, no matter what anyone says to you. But I definitely wish that. Yeah. I had held that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That close. Like yeah. a sense of security. Yeah, I think just that I didn't have the kind of power. I didn't have the kind of power I thought I had. Um and I didn't have uh I didn't have the kind of um ability to influence my life like I thought in the pressure that comes with that. Yeah, I think. I yeah. Wish. yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. Um I think that's a perfect segue. I think we just jump right in but Jay with you and you know, your story and and we're so glad to have you on the this episode and um wanted you to jump in, you know, wherever you wanna jump in. Um, but, you know, ultimately we'd love to hear about Um, kind of Dartmouth and and what Wall Street looked like and your kind of story throughout that from the little that we talked about before this episode. So, um, you know, if you wanted to jump into uh, maybe the beginning and we'll kind of just, we're going to ask questions along the way, as you know, of just trying to, you know, continually understand what's going on and um, all in the eyes of Christ. So,
2: okay. Um, Well, I think obviously I just, I just have my experience and so... I think I've grown in seeing how limited that experience is, but it still is mine. And so I think with that, uh, there's a sense of value um, that I'm also growing in, kind of attributing to my experience. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess going to an Ivy League school, uh, I think has its own unique uh, relational subset. I think the challenges are, uh, different and the uh, expectations feel different. And I'm not sure how to describe the uniqueness of that experience other than just to say that as I have um, lived in my world, I have found a loneliness around being able to relate uh, to people's college experiences, frankly. Um, I think uh, going there I didn't I didn't really know uh, what I was getting into and I I didn't have an expectation I think there's a naivete around what that would mean for me that uh, protected me I think uh, from a lot of the initial weight I think I, if I had known what it would do to me in far as my worldview and framework I'm not sure I would have been so eager uh, to go to school at all and, and what yeah. was the main like driving force to make that decision? Like to, to yeah. Go there? Uh, I got in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think kind of my, my dad, uh, went to an Ivy league school. And so I had the benefit of his wisdom to say that, you know, I just remember him telling me, Hey, you, you have a shot at this, um, that i had been given a brain that, that worked really well. And, uh, that he just encouraged me to take a risk and to lay all my cards on the table and then see which ones came back to me. And so I did that. I think at the time I didn't have, yeah, I didn't have an understanding for what that really meant. Other than that, here's this small school on the other side of the world. For me, I was in Anchorage at the time, so going to school, Dartmouth's in New Hampshire. So <laughs> it's about as far as you can travel in the United States to go to college. Yeah. And so, uh, Applied to a good number of schools. Did not get into my choice of school, where I really wanted to go to. But I, I got into Dartmouth, and so uh, there was uh, a sense of, um, I guess, just acknowledgement that I had a, I had an opportunity, and I didn't know what that opportunity meant, but I knew it was an opportunity. Yeah,
1: you didn't have just a educational opportunity. You had a yes opportunity to be an athlete there as well. Yes, yeah, which yeah, which is a big um, deal.
2: I, so uh, the Ivy League doesn't do um, athletic scholarships. I was actually not recruited to swim at Dartmouth. Um, I ended up walking onto the team. And so even though they, they do different things around recruitment, I did not take one of their recruiting slots. And there's there's a bunch of different um, stipulations around that uh, of different number of slots they get. And most teams don't get enough slots to fill a team. There's all different kind of politicking hmm. that goes on in a, a team to be able to fill out the team. So, um I'm sure that was also in play there. Um, I was fast enough to be recruited there, uh, but ended up getting in academically. And so, yeah, I just I, I saw that as as a gift, but I, in a dream, I guess it was a big dream of mine since I was young to be able to do that. Um, just because I I was encouraged, it would uh, it would taste and feel differently than any sports experience I'd previously had, uh, and there would just be a level of joy kind of I could get there out of my sport that I couldn't have got elsewhere and that's its kind of own I mean I could talk for a long time about uh, what my swimming career meant to me uh, in my life but I think the biggest thing around going to Dartmouth for me was I knew that once I went and and I I lived in Anchorage that's where I went to to high school Uh, didn't think my family was ever going to leave there you know after we moved there uh, that was a pretty tough situation all around and alaska in some ways was like a new start for me and uh but it's it's a town of 400,000 people and it's very isolated in my you know limited view but on the on the u.s map i mean they refer to everyone down here this is the lower 48 and I, i still talk about it actually in that framework but it's very kind of its own little world and likes to be that way and in some ways, that's a huge gift. In other ways, it's, it's it can be a curse. Um, but my experience of that was whatever happens here, I am making a choice to go to college in a way that when I return home, uh, everything will have changed for me. And I don't know how it will have changed, but I won't be able to look at my life the same way that I previously have. And I knew that. Um, that was my experience moving to Anchorage. And so there was something in me that just knew that by choosing to go to Dartmouth, I would not have control over, uh, how I would view my life or returning home or, um, yeah, just that something different would happen to me. And that was a scary thing, uh, and, and felt risky to me. And there was a, there was a sadness about that, I think too. Mm.
0: So it sounded like there's like a ton of, (laughs) ton of things we can go into, but pros and cons wise at, at, you know, at Dartmouth, there was a little bit of both. It sounded like. Yeah.
2: Well, my, actually, my, my spiritual experience there was extremely vibrant I don't think that's a lot of the press uh, that you get kind of from uh, the Northeast, but yeah, uh, the people that I... I um, kind of the, the spheres that I swam in when I was in New York, I <laughs> swam in uh, when I was in <laughs> yeah. New York or even in school, like, like that was generally a lot of people's experience um, was just that if you were looking for it, you could find it and it was extremely vibrant and authentic. That's awesome. And uh, so I, I had a really rich... Uh, experience um, from kind of a relational standpoint in college. Uh, you know, one of the things is funny people people don't go to Dartmouth to party and have sex. You know, no one no one says, "Hey, I want to go live it up in college. Yeah. Let me go somewhere that's going to be extremely stressful, and I'm gonna have to work my butt off, and it's gonna overwhelm me." Yeah. You know, that's not people's choice. And so, uh, you know, the conversation was not you know hey let's let's just have a good time i think there was a general stressor that to spend an afternoon doing something you enjoyed you were rebelling Mm. and that's a pressure that i think can be different than some people's college experience you know um people kind of went there because they wanted something more and school was a stepping stone to something great i mean the, the huge gift for me was I, I was surrounded by people from all over the world who thought extremely different than me and um, could engage with me from totally different perspectives and the kind of yeah. conversations. I mean, uh, you know, I, I still love seeing um, a lot of my friends from college just, just mainly because of the, the random stuff we'll talk about. It just is, like, totally geeked out. You know, like I, I had a friend come visit me in Memphis um, who just got his Ph.D. at um, – at harvard and we spent uh gosh 40 minutes talking about kind of uh genome splicing you know <laughs> like in in a, at a central barbecue at a barbecue chain yeah you know, but that's our conversation for 40 minutes and he's filling me in on like that's just not that's not the typical conversation i have on a given day yeah, uh, sure. and so there was there was a challenge about that i didn't grow up in that kind of environment either you know so uh yeah but it was so, i had a great time so you're
1: dream was to go to that, like a school like that. So, I mean, how did your dream, once you kind of achieve that dream, now you're at the school, what do you think you, your dream changed into? Yeah. Did you have,
2: well, a vision? I think there's kind of a, I got, I mean, it's personal bias, but I got a view that, that no one makes it that far educationally, unless they have, um, uh, some kind of internal dysfunction. Like it, <laughs> It, it takes a lot of willpower to work that hard to get there. Absolutely. Uh, that's true for me, obviously. That's why I think that might be true for other people. Um, but, you know, when I got there, I think there's definitely like a uh, – there's kind of a thing that sets in that's like, oh, I was I was the mistake. I'm the one that they let in on accident,
1: hmm. you know,
2: like because you just – other people are just beautiful in their, their – what they think about and what they've done. And, um, so you felt I mean, a there, there's inferior. a phenomenal documentary right now on, on Netflix called The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. That's a, I went to, we we're college classmates. You know, he's a year older than me. He had a guy from, uh, you know, uh, basically created a windmill to pump water to his village that was yeah. dying of starvation. You know, like, yeah, I've cr- heard of it. That. And, uh, and so there is definitely that complex that's very real. Yeah. I think
0: I feel like that's that's got to be prevalent to for a lot of people that go there too. I mean, some people are maybe not, but the but imposter syndrome is, is yes, thank the you. The word yeah. it, you yeah. know is what it's called, um, feeling
1: like inferior, pressure just, that you are not. Yeah, feeling like
0: you are you are pretending to be somebody you are not. Right? Is is mm-hmm. imposter syndrome, and so that can filter into a lot of different aspects. But you know, where where Jay's talking is, you know, that feeling of like, hey, maybe I don't belong here. Yeah, um, which uh,
2: um I definitely felt out of my league. Uh, I'd say uh, kind of transitioning into that, there's um, kind of a corporate recruiting process uh, that a bunch of large um, companies will, and this is changing obviously, but at the time, they will target various schools and they'll send representatives to those schools uh, to kind of go through a, you know, a, a school-sponsored, I want to say three-month kind of program to hire kids for internships. Uh, the summer after your junior year. And those internships, uh, if you, it's kind of like a, will be an interview basically. And unless you do something dumb, usually that will turn into a, f- a potential full time offer for you when you graduate. So mm-hmm. I went through that process my junior winter of school uh, to get an internship, uh, which I did uh, that summer on Wall Street, got a full time offer from that. So I had accepted my first full time job before I started my senior year of college. Um, And so I think, you know, there's obviously many perks to that. I didn't have kind of the, what am I going to do when I'm done? I already knew and kind of knew what that would look like. I am not sure that my perspective was, this is something I really want and someone I really want to be. My perspective was, I just got dumped uh, in an environment that is outside of anything I've touched, and the connectivity of this environment is uh, a phenomenal opportunity that I I can't believe I have. Yeah. You know, I, I remember um, uh, the the former Secretary of Defense. He's now stepped down. I, we had beers together on a random Thursday, nice. And uh, he was just up visiting for something, and me and a buddy went you know had some beers with General Matz. You know, like so that that moment like moments like that were like what am what am i in uh and then feeling like i guess like how do i grab onto this can i grab onto this um do i even want to just the pressure i think uh i just thought when i was graduating school that i wanted to um feel like i didn't waste my opportunity Mm -hmm. i was like i would said before i felt all kinds of like weight like somehow decision I make here is going to really affect me. And Mm -hmm. I'm really sad about that in hindsight. Um, Yeah. Do you, do you think
0: that like, did you really entertain not taking the offer?
2: Oh yes. Yeah. Very, very strongly. Actually, I think I recognized that kind of at that point there was a life I wanted to live and um, it didn't look like what my life would be like. Yeah. And so I felt a cognitive dissonance there. Um, there was definitely a thread in me and i'm seeing this more and more uh that felt like i was climbing a ladder and the closer i got to the top the higher i had to climb but it gets really lonely up there because there's not very many more rungs to climb
0: yeah yeah
2: and so the the pressure of that kind of self-imposed weight that said somehow somehow in life I need to win. And winning is an ambiguous reality that continues to grow in front Mm of me. Um, So in your brain,
1: or the way you thought when you were going to get that Wall Street job, I mean, do you think it was going to, life was going to start making sense?
2: Yeah. In a way? Yeah. uh, Or at least that I could look back on college and say I didn't waste it.
1: Yeah. It was worth
0: it.
2: Uh, And I also thought to myself, okay, this is going to be a grind. For a couple of years, but what I'm going to have on the other side of this is going to be valuable. I think, you know, it was also a very spiritual conversation for me. I, I remember uh, going back to Anchorage uh, right after my junior internship on the street and kind of was like saying goodbye. Like there was a thing in me that was like, you know, once I take this job, I'm, you know, for the near term, I'm not sure I'm coming back here. Yeah. Uh, and kind of did did that like I was aware enough of that um and I knew that it was going to be hard I felt um kind of from my understanding of what I knew that this is what I was supposed to do as well I was I was scared I was scared of what it would cost me mm-hmm. um and uh but also at the same time that kind of here's what I need to do to um win at life uh and so that was in there too. That was definitely yeah. a threat. Uh, my experience there in New York, um, man, I, I've had a lot of people ask me for advice about that kind of thing, uh, and uh, different f- you know people or friends, uh, friends back in school, just kind of the people like trying to go work there. Like, what do I you know need to do, or how do I um, engage this? Um, I mean, it just for context, like. It's it's one of the hardest jobs to get in the world. Um, There's an article that came out in 2016 uh, about Goldman Sachs. Just kind of, it's like uh, it's much harder to work at Goldman Sachs. Than anything Fortune did it, I think. But the gist of it was like uh, getting a job on the street is harder than becoming a, like a great actor. I don't mean that in skill set. I don't mean that just that there are so many people who want it, yeah, yeah, uh, and so few people get it. And so my experience there was that there were a lot of people who wanted to be me. And I was finding that I wanted to get off the train. Uh, And I don't mean the Wall Street train. I mean, like, this inner train that just keeps Yeah, like it felt
1: like life would start, you know, you go to Dartmouth, that's your dream. You get your dream, like, oh, life should start making sense here at Dartmouth. You had a great experience at Dartmouth. Then you Uh, then you end up on Wall Street. You kind of hope life starts making sense there, but you realize that it's this infinite ladder, and as you climb this infinite ladder, things start to kind of get lonely as you get closer to the top. Um, I mean, what was your curious? I mean, what was your pride level? Oh yeah,
2: I you know like I mean, you know, it wasn't until I left that I actually could see a lot of that. But yeah, I felt very good. Uh it it felt great. Well, I
0: mean at the same time it I feel like it was almost a a taking of that imposter syndrome and saying, No, I was wrong the whole time, like I did make it. You know what I'm saying? Like, Oh
2: yeah, that was very real. I, I remember getting my first uh paycheck and thinking, like, wait, I'm I'm here. I yeah, did this. Yeah. Uh yeah. And I couldn't really believe it. Sure. Um that was that was pretty cool frankly uh contextually
0: if you don't mind like before before we you know really dive into this section is what exactly were you doing there you don't have to say like yeah no that's great i I was i uh,
2: i worked on the uh research side for a bulge bracket bank um and so just a lot of excel frankly yeah a whole lot of microsoft excel yeah (laughs) i mean there are other things in there but uh if i can boil it down a lot of powerpoints and a lot of excel um what hours
0: wise what did that look like
2: uh yeah it depended i guess on the season um i had a couple different roles while i was there um but i definitely worked six six and a half days sometimes more uh i remember one time working my internship i think i worked 46 days straight (laughs) at one point i mean that's i think though, like it's less about the work um i don't know like it I still would look at that and say that that was worth it, um, not just from the things that I gained professionally in my life. So I don't I don't necessarily look at that and say oh that like I, I really believe that my twenties are about working very hard, sure. Um, and there's there's value there. You know I, I'm not married. I don't have a family. Uh, I didn't when I was 22. You know uh, some of that's also just a different college framework yeah you know yeah. um but I mean man I think the thing that the thing that surprises me uh in a grateful way is that I'm not sure a different environment and not just Wall Street living in New York I had some personal things going on that were very hard uh I could have seen enough of the truth about me um to realize that that something needed that something needed to change Um, and by that I mean like so just kind of from a top level perspective um, moving to Anchorage from Nashville was like I mean just imagine if you were in middle school and someone told you you were moving to Alaska you know leaving everything you knew behind you wouldn't necessarily be super thrilled about it and so uh, it was like being handed a you know, a tough card. And then somehow in my mind, feeling like I overcame that, I went to an Ivy League school. I got one of the most coveted jobs in the world. Uh, I was financially pretty well off, and I was 23 years old and then 24 years old, and I had, quote, made it from the world's perspective of made it. By the world, I just mean... Kind of your the social construct the dream, yeah, yeah there's the social yeah. construct of life and um you know I, I didn't have anyone in my family or in my extended family who was in that position uh my my dad's been in kind of nonprofit work his whole life and so that's i didn't grow up around that i had no framework to be like this is i guess what i do because that's what my dad you know i didn't have any of that and so uh basically just seeing in my life like frankly I, i'm an extremely competent person And I feel like for the most part, I make great decisions. I would not have been able to say that, uh, that that was necessarily true about me, but if you were to look at the outside of my life, that's what you would see. I've I've been extremely successful for 27 and I make great decisions. Uh, The real crutch of that for me has been seeing that I'm not sure the goal in life is to have answers uh, i'm not sure answers give me what i want i'm not sure that um, i'm not sure that being good at things is a virtue or a vice and new york was the first place that i really realized like that the problem was not like kind of what you were saying brent like it's never going to make sense like it it really won't ever make sense. Like I can't really go up from here and it's not going to, um, I mean, I guess I could have, you know, there are always places you can go, but it's, it's never going to make sense. There's in the sense that there will never be a place. There will never be a place in life where I can look back and say, um, this is, um, this is how it should be. And I uh, am in kind of at a internal Place of honesty about that. Um, maybe in better terms, I would say that New York was the place where I saw that not having answers might be better than having them. And I just remember thinking, you know, I was there for um, a couple years, and the first year was like, yeah, I did this. That's great. And then the second year is like, okay, like this isn't as great anymore. And then you keep going, it's like, you know, you kind of get in in like it. It feels good, but it also feels bad. Yeah, and uh, not for everyone. That's just you know my experience. Yeah, but like my environment. I just remember thinking my environment is not going to change, and if it does, it won't really matter because I am still me, and I go with me wherever I go. Like I can't I can't leave myself behind. Like the thing that's wrong here is me, not. The environment that I am in, and maybe it's like it was like this this crack in the door. Like maybe the problem here is that I think I need to have answers and I need to be excellent. Like, like maybe I had a mentor tell me this the other day, and um, it's it's been very valid to me. Maybe maybe God has just been waiting for me to lose because He's not going to make me lose because I think there's a dignity that is respected just around my humanity and what that means. But like, maybe, maybe the value is that, that I'm a needy person, not that I am excellent. And so Hmm. that was a question like, like maybe I actually get what I want. If I say I don't have what I want. And, um, I don't mean necessarily externally. I mean, internally. And, uh, and that kind of started me on a, a journey of saying the thing that needs to be okay, my environment will not change what's going on in me
0: um, yeah, you know it's, it's so interesting you say all that um you know the we were talking about this in Bible study the other day it it you know regardless of of faith outside of faith, um, I think it's so valuable to recognize that um you know people are needy people people that are needy, people that need certain things that they don't have have got to recognize that it's it's most of the time internal, it's not necessarily their environment. their environment's not going to fill every need that you have um, and especially in the terms of a Christian context, uh, you found yourself discontent with something that you've been working towards basically your entire you know adult life at least.
2: Uh, I think you know, my, my, my leaving New York had less to do with needing to get out of the city and more to do with, uh, feeling like there was, uh, there was something pulling me to find a place where I could be needier than where I was. I mean, that's, that's basically Hmm. it. Like finding a place, you know, the, the financial gain, uh, obviously matters, uh, you know, how you get paid is how your boss says you're valuable you know it's your livelihood it's your family there's there's all kinds of value uh that is appropriately attributed to kind of your income and wealth but i think i just needed a needier place in life somewhere that i i could be a needier person uh and that's not external that was relationships for me and so uh what ultimately kind of led me to where i am um it was kind of that that train of saying, "I, I, uh, I'm not sure I want to be so competent anymore, and I'm not sure I have the tools to change that." And uh, you know, growing up in a in a uh, religious context, I think oftentimes, in my experience, uh, there's a lot of God that's put on things, which actually, for me, I've recognized like has kept me away from from God and. You know, so th- things will often be over-spiritualized, which then won't won't really let me kind of address what's at hand. And so an example of this would be, like, kind of when I say a needy person, like, I think, I mean, man, in my understanding of God and knowing God, and, um, and it's like I, I've just, just begun to really know Him. Um, but my understanding of that you know, and when I, when I grew up, you know, listening to people talk about needing God or needing people or, uh, I had kind of a framework for that, which was, you know, I, I wake up in the morning and there's, there's, um, you know, I, I need my parents to feed me, right. As a kid, I I need them to survive basically. Then I I get older and I, you know, I need my parents' help navigating through, you know, growing adult challenges I need friends to be there for me when I'm down like I need God but the the oh I need God I need him for my you know my failures I need him for how I harm people I need him for you you could say salvation whatever but recognizing that you know if there's a thing in me that still thinks that I need need to I'll just say win at life whatever that looks like the feeling of that that others have described to me and I would attribute is like there's a ladder I'm climbing and I don't know how to get off the ladder and that's you know a comparative ladder with others I've had a friend describe it that way for me it's it's a it's a hamster wheel where there's an energy in my spirit that will not cease that, that spins and spins and spins and I cannot let it go uh, I've, I've heard of one friend describe it as like a light switch like he tries to turn the light off but he can't Yeah, Uh, because there's this thing that feels like it needs to move him somewhere. All those kind of that's what I mean when I say this feeling like I need I need something I do not have and I need to go get it to be okay, whatever that looks like. And I really relate to that story. That's that's my narrative. Uh, But I'm not sure then to say that I need God in that context is actually needing him for anything other than to win at life and if i say i need god to help me be okay and being okay is winning Mm -hmm. whatever that looks like for me that could be having a a great marriage it could be having kids that don't screw up their life it could be you know uh fulfilling the um the demands of my uh childhood home that could be Uh, filling the shoes of my father, which are very large, you know, that could be uh, proving to myself that the shame narrative I live in isn't real. I mean, it could be all kinds of things. Uh, But for me, it's that sense of there's somewhere, something I need to be that I am not, I'm deficient in some way that needs to be changed. God, I need you because I need you to help me not be deficient. I mean, that's not really needing him. Uh, And so my journey through New York, New York was a place that started uh, to Memphis where I live now, uh, has been one of discovery, you know, that that there are needs I have that are much more vulnerable than that, Mm -hmm. Um, which are things like, you know, I woke up today and I needed someone to comfort me because there's some pretty sad stuff going on, you know, in my life. I got a lot of fear about different things I have going on today, professionally, and I, I need someone to see me. I need to be attuned to God. I need to see myself in God's mind. There, there's a, a psalmist says he says, um, and I, I've heard this put better by someone else, but I, I've clung to it for the past couple of months. He says, "This I ask, and this alone I would seek, that I would, I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and gaze upon, gaze upon Your temple." And the concept there is not like, hey at least it was described to me it's not like hey I want to be in in church all day what he's saying is you know that that place was the place where God was and so the way that I understand this is God the thing I want most is I want to know that I am seen in your mind I want to know that wherever I go in life I am seen in your mind's eye I know that I am there that I am in your mind I see I'm in your mind I am with you and I see that I am with you and, uh, like, that's a real need. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, that's really, 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 <laughs> I mean, that's really cool to think about, like, this whole idea of you being in Wall Street and seeing that you're needing God for almost the wrong reasons in, in your own eyes. And then that recognizing that and seeing that I, w- I need God and I want to need God for the right reasons, which is what it sounds like a major contributing factor to yeah.
2: Uh, you leaving New York sure I mean I mean uprooting I think what you just said there to me is extremely profound which is the I want to part of that I think um, in my type A life experience I really try often to think differently to live differently and it has never worked for me and I don't really know anyone who it has worked for um, that's just I think in some ways that's a very western construct and just my opinion but uh What I have found for me is that I can live myself into a different way of thinking, but I'm not sure I can think myself into a new way of living. Um, like I can fill myself with truths I want to believe, but until truth is embodied, you know, in someone else to me, it, it frankly is as if it's not true um, in my life. And so to your point, like the wanting to need things, I'm not sure I have the power. Uh, I am hoping to learn more and more in, inside somewhere that I do not have the power to affect that. And I can't fill myself with things that will help me affect that. But I can be vulnerable with you uh, and let you like see myself in God's mind in the way that you see me and respond to me, uh, and that that changes me. And you did start that process when you
1: left New York, in a way. I mean, you took a, I mean, kind of out of left field, basically. I mean, you're, yeah, yeah. on that hamster wheel, you know, and then you, in a way, step out of, yeah, that hamster yeah, wheel, absolutely. to begin this process of like how what you said, like seeing somebody, uh, truth embodied, that hey, I want to need God for, the reasons that He has me on this, earth. You know, because I'm realizing that this life that I'm living in Wall Street on this hamster wheel is not the life that I believe that God is leading me down. I was reminded, I
0: was pulling something up on my phone. I was reminded of, you know, the Beatitudes. Um, I was reminded of the first one, um, blessed are the poor in spirit, um, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And, you know, as you study that, it's it's not necessarily about being, um, uh, disenfranchised or being, being poor in spirit is about, um, being someone who recognizes that you're broken and that you are needy. Um, because the, the way Jesus talks on the Sermon on the Mount is that, you know, we are supposed to recognize that, you know, we are poor in spirit, that we are not enough without him. Um, And then it goes on to say, blessed are those who mourn. And then I think, you know, one of the most important ones here for this conversation in this context is blessed are the meek, um, for they shall inherit the earth. And then blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled and they will be satisfied. Mm. Um, You know, Jesus is showing us how to become a Christian in, you know, these sermons. Uh, He says, you know, recognize um, the brokenness in the world, mourn for that brokenness and then be humble enough to repent and then go hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that's, um, that's a future tense. Like you will be satisfied. Um, you know, he calls us to go search and work and it's going to be hard. You're going to hunger and thirst, um, for that right standing with God. Um, but in the end you will be filled, um, but keep working. So uh, anyways, I just thought that was super powerful. Jay, and I, I appreciate you sharing all of these, uh, thoughts and things that you've been working through for the past, you know, number of years, um, you know, really diving deep into what it means to be needy for you. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, because now you're kind of full circle back in Memphis, Tennessee, and you're still on this journey. And I mean, I think ultimately all believers are when you really do say, look, God, I believe In you and I want to believe in you. You know, I always one of my favorite verses in the Bible is in Mark, where it says, "God, I believe, help my unbelief." You know, Mm -hmm. and that it's so hard in life sometimes to you know see that you do need God because you are in this busyness of life, and you know you do kind of in in our American culture see that, hey, I I do want to climb this ladder, and that this or Achieving this is going to give me some sort of satisfaction when, in fact, God is the one that is the only one that can satisfy, is the only one that can bring that redemption and that, and that salvation and that love. Um, but I, I just love your story, how that journey is still ongoing. It's still ongoing for, I think, Garrett and I, yeah. too, I mean, and a lot of people, is that ultimately, I would say, it, it takes a lot of courage to step out of that that wheel.
2: Yeah. You know, hopefully I have just begun. Mm. You know, I, I don't. uh Okay. You know, I've, I've lived some interesting life for 27, but uh yeah, I, I think the, the heart that I have huh, some days and wish I had every day uh, is kind of that like just perspective of saying, I, I hope I've just begun. Um I don't, um, The thing I want to grow in me most, I think, right now, you know, uh, even just around kind of my work today, um, particularly my relationships I have in my city, um, is is my heart full of acceptance? You know, uh, uh, am I an anxious presence? You know, like it, or I guess I'd say a non-anxious presence. Uh, is there is there a, a kindness here that I experience? You know uh i think to me that's probably it's not necessarily something i would ever grown up and said i want this to be the most true quality about me but i would absolutely say that today is is kindness i think my understanding and experience of god uh has uh has moved uh, and shifted in that direction the more i've i've approached him with my face i um to see that that is, that is the thing, you know, uh, the phrase is kindness leads those to repentance, but, um, repentance being just to make decisions, to go, just to, to choose to do it differently, you know, like that there's just a lot of spirituality around that, just to choose to do things differently. And, uh, and so those are the things I think I, I pay attention to right now in my spiritual directors, uh, in the people that I, I learn from. Is for me less, you know, how how well do you have the answers about what life is like or God is like? Versus, you know, are you a are you a person of, of surrender who does not think they have power? Um, you know, are you someone who's trying to give a lot of advice, <laughs> uh, or are you someone who's trying to um, be a be a good listener? I think. Um,
0: we, and what you're describing is is be like Jesus. I mean, go, I mean, go right. Like go look at Jesus and his ministry and the way he addressed people. It was so countercultural with how kind he was to people that no one was kind to, um, and how much he showed love to people that no one showed love to, or even the people that people did show love to. Um,
2: yeah, just, I've, I've been met by a couple of people who've been really kind to me, uh, you know one of the last thing I think I, I want to say is recently for me I, I have recognized kind of in my in my person that uh, what it actually looks like kind of in a newer way to be to listen and what I mean by that is like actually being willing to let somebody affect me how they're going to affect me and not having certain things be off limits so what I mean by that kind of a more tangible way would be I think there are different feelings that I have at different points in life chosen that were off limits to me that I would not I was not willing am not willing even many times today not willing to express these in this environment and I don't realize I've made that vow but I have Hmm. and so when someone's talking to me I'm either thinking about what I'm going to say next how I'm going to answer them I'm thinking about what is the appropriate response to what they're saying and how I can mirror them that's just me. It's instead of saying, "I will receive whatever you say, however I, need, however I'm going to receive it, and then I will, I will, I will wrestle with that after." And what I've found often is that uh, I have all kinds of feelings about the things that people share with me uh, that I didn't really think I I would have. Like this is just in this summer. Like I, I feel like I have uh, I feel safe enough in the mind of God to let life happen to me in a way that I have never felt this safe. And because of that, I have watched myself feel more connected to people and like I belong to them in a way that I have never known. Mm. Uh, and I hopefully have just begun. Yeah. Like, and, uh, you know, listening to someone share something and and really letting it touch you. You know, you have feelings about it. I could be angry. I could find that I'm feeling like really alone. I could find that I am sad. I'm I just feel anxious, you know, like these are things that I've started to pick up on or let myself have. And it'll be like, man, I'll listen to someone share something with me and uh and it'll touch some kind of part of my story and I will I will See myself in that person. That's the phrase. Like I will attune uh, with that person, and that's how people heal. Uh, it's just like, which is frankly what Jesus did. Like he 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 created a safe place for people, and people were able to share with him, and they saw themselves. He attuned. They saw him um, emotionally connect with what they were saying, like in his being, mm-hmm. you know. And then he, then he would share. After, and they would feel safe enough that they would be affected by what he was saying, and people would change. Um, it's totally a tangent, but something <laughs> I'm, I love it. I'm well, yeah, I touching. Mean, that's because really special, ultimately,
1: me. ultimately, you know, it's it's recognizing that need for God, wanting to need Him, like what you said, for the for the right reasons, and not for the spinning wheel per se. And then seeing that okay, now that I know that I want and need God, I want to be more like Him, and I want to be somebody that's kind, somebody that listens, and somebody that that pursues Him.
2: And and what's crazy about the kindness of God to me is kind of you said this earlier. I've gone full circle. You know, I, I do private equity now, which is kind of what you would expect is the next step for someone who you know you work on wall street for a while and you go like that's just kind of like that's the typical route but it it was a very atypical way for me to get there uh but some of the process of that ironically has been kind of just seeing that uh you know my environment quote it's not quite the same i have a much kind of more gracious environment where i'm at today uh thankfully uh but in some ways there's you know it's it's a deja vu like in some ways and uh but i've God's done so much work that i've been willing to partner with it's like the way i think about my life right now uh is that it have you guys ever like i don't know my grandpa was a farmer okay he raised soybeans in minnesota that's his own story but have you guys ever like dug or gardened or like plowed yeah Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really hard work yeah. to bust up ground that's yeah. dry. Like and so in some ways like life I feel like with with kind of the Lord is is tilling soil. Like it's it's very difficult work. And then you can so that the rain can actually touch it. Yeah. And you don't have any power over that rain, but God it is hard to dig the earth up and as I've kind of been, spent a couple of years like really digging some soil, like like I've gotten some rain. And so being in kind of this deja vu experience that in some ways it's the exact same. You know, I like look at some of the dysfunctions in my life and I'm like, man, ah, you know. Uh, but in other ways going like, like, wow, I'm, I'm like rain is falling on my life. And I've also, I mean, I've done a crap ton of work to get to that place and I'll validate that. But that's, that's been really cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So,
0: that, I mean, that makes a lot awesome. I, I, that's, you know, what Sandy talked about last, you know, last, last week of, of life with crisis not going to be easy. <laughs> it's not gonna be easy, but it's it's totally worth it. Well, Jay, dude, that was uh that was awesome. A <laughs> lot of up in our heads talk of, you know, what it's like to live, um, a Christian life um, and and what it means to to need things. I I just thought there was a lot of really really good discussion in there. So thank you for sharing that discussion alongside your story.
2: Yeah, I uh, man, it's it's good to obviously good to see you again, Garrett, after so long, and great to see Brent as always. You know, uh, but
0: uh, on here uh, he's known as Bank. Sorry,
2: it's okay. <laughs> uh, I really I like what you guys are doing, and uh, it's a gift for me to be able to uh talk with you a little bit about my journey and you know most of that journey is internally you know i I could go different places in my life but i don't know sure the the spiritual journey for me tends to be the one that i want to care about uh the most so i appreciate you guys and and thanks you for having me on this morning
0: yeah absolutely and and audience is probably getting me tired tired of me saying this but you know, that's the purpose of why we do this. This is why we're doing this series of stories is for people to look back on their life and, you know, be able to reflect on what, what God's done and where they've come from and how they've grown. Um, but ultimately so that when you do share that story, somebody else that listens to it can say, Hey, I relate to that, but I'm still in that darker place, but there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. So anyways, Hey, thank you guys for joining us. Um, it was an awesome discussion and I hope you guys join us next week.